Welcome to the Emotions and Money podcast, where we unpack the psychology behind our investment decisions and why our emotions could be sabotaging our financial outcomes. I'm your host, Maya Fisher-French, and I'm joined by Paul Nixon, who's the head of behavioral finance at Momentum Investments. We're going to explain why, when it comes to investing, understanding your money emotions is as important as understanding the investment itself. So, Paul, we're on episode four. Up till now, we've been focusing um, on personality and behavior traits. But we also have this massive physical reaction to things, um, like stress. So when we stress, we have a physical reaction. And this can also have a big impact on our financial behavior, which which I think is something we, we don't pay enough attention to. So let's talk us through a little bit about our biology, how our biology actually affects our investments. Yes, I think what's become important in the last decade is that if we want to understand financial behavior, we need to also understand a little bit about the brain. Um, So if you think of the way stuff makes us feel, that obviously has an important bearing on the way we behave or react to stuff. So so if we unpack that a little bit, you know, we need to understand happiness chemicals and we need to understand stress chemicals. So if we think of happiness chemicals, um, we can look at things like serotonin, for example, which is our natural mood stabilizer. So a good life hack is if you take a, a walk through the forest, it lowers or at least increases your serotonin levels and reduces your stress, your stress mm-hmm. level. Right? So that's your natural mood stabilizer. So interestingly, they've actually done, um, they've put people who are in love under an, under an fMRI machine. And one of the things that happens when you're in love is your serotonin level gets, um, it goes completely out of whack. So you, you go into a natural serotonin deficit. Um, so what your body is actually trying to do in that way is it's setting you up for a hit of dopamine, which is a reward chemical, which gets us to the second one, because when the object of your affection returns it or doesn't, it makes you feel a certain way, right? And obviously the, the kind of end game here is the biology of procreation. So, you know, that takes us through the reward chemical and also the mood stabilizer. And then the last two are endorphins, which are our natural painkillers and, and oxytocin, which is our love and trust bonding hormone. So, um, you know, particularly dopamine in that case, mm-hmm. in terms of financial behavior, has got a very, very strong impact on, um, on how we behave. And what we've also understood or come to understand about dopamine is that it's dopamine is as much about anticipation as um, as the actual reward. So you actually get the most benefit when you're thinking about making that purchase as opposed to when that purchase mm-hmm. or you know, when, the, when that new pair of sneakers or car, whatever it is, is actually in your possession. And that's why we have that cognitive dissonance sometimes afterwards where we feel a little bit guilty um, because it's a bit of a letdown, obviously, when we get that. So, And doesn't it also, I, from what I remember reading, is that it's almost, it's the same as, as cocaine. It gives us the same. So we now want to go and get that hit again and again. Yeah. So just thinking out, about it, right? Just thinking. Yeah. We just want to pull out the credit card again yeah. and again and Paul I've got a hack for the <laughs> dopamine it's planning so yeah. I know we're going to get later on in the podcast talk about about personality types and planners but planning gives you longer anticipation if you think about it if yeah. you're going to buy a car and you spend the next year researching it yeah. you're getting a much longer dopamine it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, bang for uh, your dopamine button. exactly so pulling out your credit card and just buying something that you see is is not going to give you the reward, but maybe it's like saving up towards it. I mean, yeah. what do you think of that as a life hack? No, that's it's a great life hack. And I mean, I, I think what, what happens with biologically what's happening here is you've got a dopamine pathway that runs through your prefrontal cortex. So what happens is when once you start fixating on buying a new pair of sneakers or a new iPhone or a new car or, or eating a piece of chocolate even, 
um, that, that is going to occupy your conscious thought, which means that you're going to carry on coming back to it until you, you scratch that itch. So, so the planning piece there is very important because if you can just work out a way of delaying that for a day or two, you won't, you won't feel the same way. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people fall short, you know, making these impulsive purchases. And we're going to talk about impulsivity mm-hmm. and because that's one of the big ones in terms of um, mm-hmm. our personalities as well and, and, and money behaviors. But, but um, it's very, very important just, you know, that kind of life hack just to um, not to do it now because often you'll end up regretting it and it's from the dopamine. Yeah. Another really good one that I came across was actually somebody I met who does this, so I can't take full credit for it. But what she did, she realized she had an online shopping problem. Mm. A lot of people have mm, an online yeah. shopping problem. My son, I think if he had the opportunity, would have an online mm. shopping problem because he says, Mom, I just love the box arriving at the door. <laughs> so um, she, what she, and it's exactly that. You're shopping and you're looking at it and you're imagining it arriving and opening it. You've got that whole thing going. Yes. So what she does is she puts it in the cart, but she doesn't check out. Yeah. And then she goes back every few days, looks at it again, and says, ah, nah, change it for something else. <laughs> so she's constantly window shopping without actually spending money, which yeah. I think is very smart. Absolutely. I mean, look, and, and obviously retailers have – they know about that. So, I mean, you often get these little nudges that come up via your um, email. You know, you've, you've left something in your cart. You know, so, so they're trying to con- constantly counter that kind of behavior as well by saying um, – you know, but I think sort of going – I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but um, Morgan Housley does the psychology of money. I mean, he talks about the man in the car paradox, um, which is kind of related. So, you know, he says what, what we think of when we look at um, – you know, if we see someone driving a Ferrari, we were like – um, we th- we often think about how cool um, you know we'd look driving a Ferrari. People, other people don't see it that way. Other people think they don't think you know when you see that person driving the car, you don't think, geez, that person in that driving is so cool. You think, how cool would I look in the car? Exactly. You know? So it's a completely different yeah. kind of what you think you're getting from that, or if you're mm. doing those things to get the respect of other people, you're probably buying the wrong thing. Um, you're right. He does. He says, you know, so you 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 pull up in your Ferrari and you think everyone's looking at you. They're not. They're looking they're not. at your car, yeah. and you're actually really not very important to them at all exactly yeah yeah. yeah. all they think about is how cool mm. would I look uh, yeah which is of course why people also sort of take selfies in, in front of Ferraris um, so yeah so I think sort of the there's such a big uh, reward chemical um, or potential powerful emotional response to things like dopamine. Now, I mean, from a biological point of view, obviously it's served us very well, right? Because if you think about it, you know, biologically, the, the, this whole idea of thinking about something and creating a reward was very, very important to us in terms of going out and hunting for food. Um, so they've actually done experiments, by the way, where they've removed the dopamine production facility from rats, um, and the rats actually just die. They, they don't even go and look for food. Um, so what happens in this case, and by the way, even when they fed the rats, they ate the, they ate the food, but they didn't go out looking for food. So they lost the will to, um, and that's dopamine. So from a biological point of view, it's extremely important for this to happen. Mm-hmm. But again, it's sort of our machinery, the machinery we kind of come with our factory settings doesn't necessarily help us in a financial mm-hmm. behavior context. Yeah. So it is about just finding, again, ways to manage our, our own biology because um, sure. we have biology. Mm-hmm. So how do we manage it? And, and Paul, we, we've spoken about happiness and joy, what mm-hmm. brings us happiness and joy. But what about fear um, and things like or stress and, and mm-hmm. things like cortisol in our system? Um, and I know you've, you've got a lovely story about, about – and I found this fascinating when I was reading the material – about what tears do for us. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, so again, I think that the important lesson here is, you know, emotion has a biological function, um, and that's something which is which is quite new, or perhaps it's something that we we haven't really thought of much before. So, so we spoke about in the happiness chemicals, we spoke about oxytocin, which is that bonding bonding hormone. So, when you cry, you have different types of tears, um, and these these are all things that have been published in the last decade. So, it's not like we've known this stuff for a very long time, but. Um, you know, when you when you cry, for example, they've they've studied the different kinds of chemicals that are secreted when you cry. So you have reflex tears. So you know, when something gets in your eye, your eye waters. Um, but then you also have emotional tears. So when you're grieving, um, what your body does is it flushes out a stress chemical, which is cortisol, in your tears. So psycho- you know, psychologically, if you're not grieving, you're not giving your body the ability to release that kind of stress chemical, which means you're going to be in distress for for longer. So it's actually something that I, I sort of learned from my wife as well when um, you know she lost her sister a couple of years ago. And one of the first things the psychologist said was, "You need to cry more." Because um, in the in the session, she had the she got the feeling that my wife was kind of repressing. repressing Pressing that. Um, yes, yeah, so. I find that fascinating because I think we think when psychologists tell us to cry, they're being namby pamby. Exactly. They're actually telling you biologically you need to mm. flush a hormone out of your body. Mm. You need to remove cortisol from your body, and the best way to do that is to cry. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. It is, and I mean, if you think about it, one of the other things that they found, which was very interesting, was they found they found um, oxytocin in people's tears as well. So, what biologically, again, what your body is trying to do is it's trying to get you into a group. So when you free, think about it, when you cry and someone hugs you, how does it feel? It feels wonderful, right? It feels comforting because your your body or your sort of your DNA is trying to get you into a group when you're vulnerable. Um, so you know these things are important, and they've served us and they've gotten us to uh, to the top of the food chain. But you know so, sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand them, and we we kind of flick things off. And I think psychologists have been, you know, dismissed in the past for being, or psychology as a discipline has been dismissed for being imprecise, um, because obviously there's so many re- root causes behind behavior. But the biological science, actually, when you add it to that, it actually becomes a lot more powerful and also um, a lot more serious, actually. Mm. So, how do we apply this to our finances? I mean, should I burst into tears and sob? When I've lost money, will that make me feel better? Will it help my financial decisions? I mean, how do we put this together, especially maybe on, on cortisol, which is one of the fight and flight um, sure. reactions? Yeah. So, so the stress chemicals, cortisol, um, there, there's been a lot of research to show that if you've got cortisol in your system, you, um, you're going to be more, um, you're going to rely on your gut instincts a lot more, um, simply because in the fight or flight, you don't want to be asking too many questions. You want to sort of get, you know, you want to get out of there and ask questions later. So, so I think that, again, the, um, the, the important thing here is if we understand that if we're making decisions, if we're in an emotive state and we're making decisions, cortisol is going to be sort of flowing through our systems. It's going to be blocking access to our prefrontal cortex, which is which is our logical thinking center. And that's, a, and that's, a, that's again, a biology thing. Um, so we need to wait. You know, and that's the if you look at techniques in financial therapy and financial counseling, often there will be a sort of agreement um, to wait. So before you make a decision, it's the same thing as an email. You know, you don't send an email if you're if you're angry with someone, you don't send the email, you type it up and then you leave it in your in your kind of in your outbox. Same principle. Rather wait, um, because the, the chances are that when you when the emotion is or the cortisol is out of your system, you'll feel differently. And the chances are you're going to make a mistake if you if you make it in uh, in the moment. Yeah. Hmm. And is there a difference between between a personality that is a fight or a flight within that. So, so if I had to interpret that in, into to money decisions or even emotional decisions or relationship decisions, I'm definitely a fight. I've had enough incidences in my life to know that I'm a fight when I come to stress. <laughs> but is it, would I make a different decision to somebody who's who's more of a flight? How, mm. how would those play out in a financial context? Definitely. And I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, this stuff is, is so important for relationships as well, because if you understand what you are and what your partner is, it, it 
can also help you to manage conflict situations. So, so you're quite right. I mean, someone who, for example, has a higher marker of neuroticism or anxiety, um, that can be reacted to in a number of ways. So when you handle conflict, either you're going to come out fighting or what you're going to do is withdraw, um, both of which are ways of coping with, with stress. So if you think about it, if someone is a, I mean, they call them sort of a you know, turtle, you know, if, if someone's a tiger, tigers and turtles. So if you're a tiger and your partner's a turtle, it's obviously often not a good combination because when you're coming out fighting, you're trying to get, you know, you feel like you're not being heard. You feel like you're not. And then if, if someone turtles on you, that's kind of the ultimate, the ultimate um, dismissal, right? Whereas it's just that person is. Well, two time. tigers also not so good. Two tigers, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But these are the kind of things to understand in, in managing conflict and managing different value systems that a financial advisor, um, because remember, money has the power to elicit these, the same responses. And if you understand your partner a bit better, you know, you can have a, you can have a, much, um, a much happier um, relationship. Yeah. And, and in terms of your money as well, you know, having perhaps being a, somebody who 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 has anxiety or, or or reacts to you know the flight, how, how does this play into something like like loss aversion, for example? Because there's a lot of people also who would just panic very quickly when the markets crash or the rand goes to twenty mm. to the dollar, or mm. so, and 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 the impact that that has on long term investment decisions. So what happens in you know in many cases is when these kind of when the market stimuli happens, we become very very present focused. So we become you know overly focused on what's happening now and we overestimate what impact that's going to have into the future so you know if you look at classic market or classic behavioral finance i mean it, it's simply an, it's an underreaction or overreaction to market stimuli so so is that linked to our personality sure it is again it's the it's the neuroticism or anxiety marker in your personality which is going to make you predisposed you know to worrying when these things happen and and often you know what happens when we worry and we stress we try and do something because that's a natural thing that's to do me well. I, I always have to try and do something exactly. which is really a yeah. bad <laughs> But sometimes doing plan, you know, yeah, you can yeah. you can set a plan. Planning mm -hmm. is doing something. But you know, often you know you either need to do something before, and that's another interesting discussion as well. Because a lot of the times, if we decide what we're going to do before it happens, you know, we have that plan before it happens, we feel a little bit more prepared. Um, and if we feel prepared, we're also a little bit less likely to react mm -hmm. to react emotionally as well. So these are all markers in 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 our personality, mm -hmm. and we'll obviously chat about that um, later. Yeah, I think I think in the um in the next podcast, I'd like to chat to you about risk perception mm. and, and exactly about risk and, and how we respond to risk, because I think that mm. is one of the big mistakes we, we often make. But my sort of summary looking at this is that if if there's a big drop in my, in my investments, um, I will just burst into tears, cry, release the cortisol and sleep on it for a few nights. Would that be a good thing? It sounds point? like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Mm, pleasure.